we get to know people through their stories. And they're asking themselves in that moment, as you come out on stage, I'm spending the next hour with this person. Do I like them? Do I connect with them? Do I feel like they're related to me in any way? Do I trust them? Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast for professional speakers. We cover the ins and outs of the business, helping you deliver more impact on bigger stages at higher fees. You'll gain an inside edge through intimate conversations with the world's most successful keynote speakers. I'm your host, Josh Linkner. Get ready for some inspiring Mic Drop moments together. Today's show is sponsored by Impact 11, formerly known as Three Ring Circus the best and most diverse and inclusive community built for training and developing professional speakers. They're not just elevating an industry we know and love. They work with hundreds of speakers to launch and scale their speaking businesses, earning tens of millions in speaking fees, landing bureau representation, securing book deals, and rising to the top of the field. To learn more and schedule a free intro call, visit impact11.com. That's impactelevn.com. As keynote speakers, we love to tell stories. And today's guest is a Jedi master at storytelling. Kendra Hall is the best-selling author of Stories That Stick, how storytelling can captivate customers, influence audiences, and transform your business. Kendra is one of the busiest keynote speakers on the scene, helping global brands better communicate the value of their company, their products, and their individuality through strategic storytelling. She's also the chief storytelling officer at Success Magazine, where she shares the inspiring, often untold stories of achievers like Damon John, Deepak Chopra, James Altucher, and Misty Copeland in print and on the podcast Success Stories with Kendra Hall. In today's conversation with Kendra, we cover the four must-have elements of any good story, the metrics she uses to gauge a successful keynote performance, and it's not a standing ovation. As a storytelling expert, the two things that can make her cringe when listening to other keynote speakers, Kendra's storytelling heroes and how she seeks new inspiration to continue to refine her craft and specific approaches to keynote intros and endings. As professional storytellers, I know you're going to love today's can't-miss episode. Kendra, welcome to Mic Drop. Thank you so much for having me, Josh. I've been looking forward to this ever since um, I heard from you, so thrilled to be here. Awesome, thank you. You know, I wanted to jump right in. I mean, obviously you and I share a love affair with storytelling. And I was wondering if you could share with us, how did you fall in love with this craft? Um, this is a story that goes way back. So uh, I'm the per I'm the kind of person which, you know, you may be too. I'm sure many people who are listening are where it, my career found me. So I told my first story when I was 11, it was an assignment for fifth grade and we were supposed to, um, grab a children's book, and then go read it to a third grade classroom. And instead, I, I don't know, I just, I read the book and thought that I could like add things to it. And so I ended up um, 
telling the story instead of just reading the book. And that was in fifth grade. And my teacher told my mother, said, hey, we did this lesson. Like, I think Kendra really has something here. And so I started telling stories at church, like at Bible school. I started telling stories for like friends' birthday parties. Um, And then I was on the speech team in high school, was telling stories there competitively. Uh, And then a coach from another school actually gave me a flyer for a national storytelling competition, which I entered and won. And the grand prize was to be able to go tell at the national storytelling festival um, in Jonesboro, Tennessee. So I was, it was at that point, it was my freshman year of college when I told at the festival and there were all these, I mean, it was, it's a whole festival all about storytelling. And I got uh, connected with some other people whose storytelling is what they do. Now it isn't like storytelling in business. It isn't keynote speaking. They sit on stages and just tell stories, whether they're personal stories or folk tales or um, stories from their heritage. And so it's really been, storytelling has been in my life since I was a child. And throughout the years, it's taken many different forms. Um, I've researched it. And of course, now I teach it. Uh, but it's it's kind of always been there. It's so cool. And I just encourage, I mean, I do this to this day. I Like you have done a lot of keynotes over the years, about 1,200 actually. But I still, like, I watch moth storytelling all the time. I mean, I, I'm always, I love stories. And it doesn't have to be like you, you point out a business story, just the, the, the mere art. It's an art form. And and and, and good artists are, are good students. Um, speaking of, of, of being a student, um, I, I, I the fir- first time we met, I think I told you, um, I was a little starstruck because your book, Stories That Stick, it was one of my all-time favorite books. I think it's one of the top, if not the best books ever written on storytelling. Would you mind sharing a couple principles from the book that could help uh, me and, and, and other f- keynote speakers improve on their craft? Yeah, I, um, I mean, I, being a storyteller myself and then a student and then a teacher of stories. I have a lot of opinions about stories. Uh, A few key things. um, Number one, where stories often go wrong is we kind of glaze over it. We don't tell. (laughs) We think we're telling a story, but we're more talking about something or we're talking, we stay really high level, like talking just about a concept. So maybe it's a leadership or maybe it's innovation or it's creativity, but we don't bring it all the way down to a moment in in our lives and in someone else's life um, where people can really see the story. And so that's that's the first thing I see in in speakers, especially like they just kind of talk around it or about it, but don't take the time to really tell the story. Um, And another one of the principles that's in there that's relevant for for this audience, for everyone who's joining us here, are the um, key components that a story needs to have. It was the research that our team did, like what makes a story more memorable, more influential, um, more emotional, or, you know, where it has that ability to keep people's attention. And, um, that a story needs to have an identifiable character. Now, if you're telling personal stories, um, the character can be you, but giving your audience an opportunity to really identify and identify with that character and ultimately, hopefully in some way, um, connect to see a little bit of themselves in that character. Story needs to have authentic emotion. uh, And where I, this is particularly a point that I want to make here is that does not mean that you have to make your audience cry in order for it to be a good 
story or a worthy story of the stage. I often find that just really simple, relatable, everyday stories are are almost more impactful because it gives the audience more of an opportunity to, as I mentioned earlier, see themselves in that story. So the, the emotion only has to be authentic. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Um, a story needs to have a, a moment. And, and what I mean by that is uh, a point in that story where the listener can come in and, and sit right there next to you. Like they're, they're sitting in the room or at the meeting or in the line or wherever the story is happening, that they can be there with you and really see it. And then finally, a story needs um, specific details. And that just kind of drives what I call the co-creative process further. So at each detail you mention, they are their brain is adding that to the image that they're creating in their minds. And you can have a lot of fun with uh, specific details, bringing them back at the end of a story. If you mentioned it at the beginning, but they didn't, they didn't think they noticed, but they did. There's, there's a lot there. So those would be the two, two of the big takeaways. Of course, there, there are so many more, but in stories that stick in particular is like what a story really is. So you're not just like talking around it. And then the four key components that a story needs to have. So good. And forgive me for getting out. I'm going to bounce in out of being technical because I'm I'm, a, I'm like a storytelling geek and I feel like I'm talking to Yoda of stories. So I, <laughs> I can't help myself. Um, how do you know when it's too much richness, color and detail versus uh, not enough? And so on the one end, we want, like you said, put put somebody in the story. You know, I walked into the room and couldn't believe my eyes. My stomach was in a knot. You know, the, the purple wallpaper was shimmering in the light. So, so we're, richness, color, and details, you know, we're putting people there, we're dropping them in. But at what point does it become distracting from the, the, the through line of the story versus, you know, so when are you doing too much? When are you doing too little? Yeah, I think that when you're, so again, this is anytime you're using a story on a stage, you're, you're doing it with intention. It's a strategy, right? It's a strategy to illustrate your point, to connect more with your audience. And so as a strategy, you need to be strategic with what you include. And, and so I would say it's, we can go overboard and it isn't about the, like you're not trying to fill up a page. You're trying to, you have a goal with where you want your listener to go with you on this story, right? As they're, as they're on the journey of this story. And so only enough richness to accomplish that goal. Like you're not trying to show them how visual you can be with everything. I would say like one or two details, just the small things that they can paint the picture. And I would actually, in fact, I I haven't articulated it in this way, but think of it in this way. How much do you have to say for yourself to be transported back to that space and time, to that room? Like, do you need the color of the wallpaper to go and sit on your grandmother's couch? You know what I mean? Now, if there's something about the wallpaper and that you're like, oh, my grandmother and she loved cats. There were cats on the wallpaper. There were cats on the napkins. There were cats crawling all over my lap. Then, yeah, mention the wallpaper. But if you're just talking about a conversation with your grandmother that happened on the couch, you maybe don't need to include the the color of the wallpaper. So, so as many details as you would need to go back to that place, but much more than that, then it just kind of sounds like you're showing off and you do not want to show off in your story. Yeah, to- totally agree with you. In your book, Kendra, you said something that was 
one of those mind blowing moments for me anyway. And I've repeated it with attribution, by the way, always. Um, the, I'm your, like your nervous. Wisdom. I'm like, oh no, what did I say? What if I many many times? And 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 you you talk about this concept of think no do feel, and and that was just so profound. Can you walk us through what is think no do feel? Yeah, at the. It, one of the most important things you can do to accomplish that goal of being strategic with your stories is is remember that you are there to tell the story for them, not for yourself, right? And so to get in that place, and this helps with that editing, it helps with deciding what to keep, what to let go of, what, here's the question, what do you want your audience to think, feel, know, or do as a result of hearing this story and and let that be your your lighthouse your 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 guide like that is and so if you're if you're debating of what do I keep what do I leave come back to that question okay what do I want them to think feel know or do does this help me does keeping this part help me accomplish that goal um, and if it doesn't leave it out. Now, if it helps them picture the story more clearly, it adds a little bit of color and it doesn't take a whole, it's not a distraction, then you can keep it. But this becomes an advanced technique with practice. Um, If you start to notice that you know, people aren't taking the action that you want them to take, or they're not walking away, if the comments after your talk seem kind of off, they're not exactly the reactions that you thought they would be, that is a signal to you then that there must be a nuance that's off in the story that isn't completely aligned with what you want them to think, feel, know, or do. In the book, I share the example of a fundraising story, and this woman told this amazing story of her experience um, volunteering with this kid and and the incredible impact he had on her and she in turn was able to have on him and what she would she would tell this story to try to raise funds for this organization but afterwards she didn't get donations she got people wanting to volunteer and she was like I don't understand what's happening well what did she want them to do she wanted them to donate. So she needed to shift the story just a little bit to get that action versus, and and of course, anyone getting volunteers is a wonderful thing, but that's not what she was there to do. So she had to change the story slightly. She could use the same story, but had to build a little bit around it to get it to the action, which is this is what your money can do. So give me your money. So good. And uh, again, I've, I've with attribution, re- recommended to the people, before you write your first word of a keynote, come up with your first PowerPoint you know, image or whatever, write out one sentence, think, no, do, feel, stick it on the monitor next to you, and use that as your North Star to, to, to inform every content choice that you make to keep things on track and make sure that there's going to be a consistent and, 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 and sort of singular focus that, that really drives through the keynote. So again, it's such, such brilliant advice. I wanted to ask you, um, do you have a favorite keynote opening or keynote closing approach? How do you, you know, we often talk about in, in music, for example, I play music, as you know, and, and in music, the, the intros and endings are the most important parts of every song. In films, of course, intros and endings. In a fireworks show, the, the intro and the finale, of course. And so if, the same is true, obviously, for a, for a keynote. How do you, not that there's only one right answer, of course not, but what are some of the ways that you think about intros and endings? Um, well, this is going to come as a huge surprise, but I think you should always start with the story. 
<laughs> you should always open always open your keynote with a story. Now, I will say that um, I personally, when I'm delivering my keynotes, I don't come on stage and the first word out of my mouth is, I'll never forget the day I told my first story and go right into the story about the story. I prefer to have a little bit, just for myself personally, as a speaker, to have just a moment where um, it's just like a few sentences of fluff or throw away. Now, they're very intentional. I say pretty much the same thing every time. I'm not walking onto a stage and the lights go up or it's my my microphone's on and I'm like, "Hey, what's going on? How are you guys doing? What how's everybody feeling?" Like it is it is I come out, I refer to the introduction that the person has just given me. Um, and I say a quick thing that's that my, I usually start by saying, I just want to say, yes, I am Kendra Hall and my title is professional storyteller. I just want to put this out there. I know as a title that sounds made up and it is, I like, it's just this moment to, cause in that moment, I'm kind of getting my mouth around the words. I'm getting a little feel for who this audience is or what they're about. I also know I've been doing this for a long time, um, that, you know, that, they're, they're sitting there listening to me, but they have their ideas about storytelling being a worthy topic on a stage. And I will say, from now, between when I started and today, it's a much more acceptable topic. I like to think I had a little bit of something to do with that, but um, starting right there. So I start with a little bridge. We'll call it a bridge. Uh, and then, however, I go straight into a story. And the reason to start with a story, I don't start with, here's what we're... so. So you heard when I said that, um, you know, it is made up. I told my first story and I go right into the story. You'll notice that I don't say today we're going to be talking about this, 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 and this. I do go right into the story before giving an overview because I want them, we get to know people through their stories. And they're asking themselves in that moment, as you come out on stage, I'm spending the next hour with this person. Do I like them? Do I connect with them? Do I feel like they're related to me in any way? Do I trust them? And a story right from the get-go, before you go into your, you know, the outline or any stats or figures that, you know, 40% of people say they want to hear a story, whatever it may be, they're getting to know me. And I'm showing them through a story who I am and why they should listen to me. Um, So... It's a really important way to start. And then after that story, I transition into, so here's what we're going to be talking about here today, which I've already set up through the story that I've told. Um, So that's what I would recommend. Becoming a keynote speaker is an amazing profession. The top performers earn millions in annual income while driving massive impact on audiences around the world. But the quest to speaking glory can be a slow route with many obstacles that can knock even the best speakers out of the game. If you're serious about growing your speaking business, the seasoned pros at Impact 11 can help. From optimizing your marketing and business efforts, to crafting your ideal positioning, to perfecting your expertise and stage skills, Impact 11 is the only speaker training and development program run by current high-level speakers at the top of their field. 
That's why the major bureaus like Washington Speakers Bureau, Premier Speakers, Speak Inc., Executive Speakers, Harry Walker Agency, Kepler, Gotham Artists, and GDA all endorse and participate in Impact 11. From interactive boot camps to one-on-one coaching, if you're looking to take your speaking career to the next level, they'll help you make a bigger impact faster. For a free 30-minute consultation, visit impact11.com forward slash mic drop. It's so smart. Just just to quickly pause, I mean, I just think the intentionality of it is so good. You're not coming out and saying, clearing your throat with like, hey, Bob, thanks for having me here in Myrtle Beach. You know, I hope that wasn't the, wasn't the lunch buffet terrific. You know, you're coming out there with this line about, you know, you're a storyteller. And yes, that's made up. It makes you relatable. It's self-deprecating. It's also mysterious. And now I want to learn more. And I instantly like you. So I think in, in such a few, such an efficient number of words, you've set up the intention that you want going forward. And again, I think it's terrific. So anyway, I wanted to shift gears to the ending. Oh, How do you yeah. think about endings? The the ending then, uh, if you've started with a story, I think the strongest way to end is by tying back to that story. Now, there's a couple of different ways of doing that. Maybe you, I mean, you ended the story in the beginning. You told the whole story, uh, or at least as much as they needed to know for the opening, but maybe there's an epilogue. Maybe there's a part of the story that you did leave off. Come back to that story at the end. It gives you this full circle experience. What I actually do in my keynote is I don't tell, um, I don't tell like a full rest of a story at the end because the way my keynote often wraps up is I've, I've right before the end, I've told kind of an emotional story, like the most emotional of my stories. And so I don't want to tell that story and then tell another story within 30 seconds. Okay. So I instead use a phrase, and this is where I say you can get really, you can have some fun with the specific details that you mention, because I say, you know, here's what we've covered, which I think is another important, you know, I outline what we're, what is it, it was in it Letterman, or somebody said, you tell them what you're going to tell them, you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. So I wrap up by doing an overview, here are the things that we've talked about, and then I come back and I use one of the details from my opening story that I said, like I talk about a roller coaster and I'm like, okay, so the next time the stakes are highest and you feel the pressure coming over you, like the heavy bars of a roller coaster. And they chuckle because they're like, wait a minute, she talked about that an hour ago. So it's kind of a call back and then I can wrap it up really quickly, but there, I'm still wrapping it up with the story in mind. It's just so good. And so, you know, this is what happens when, when you're a professional. You make it look easy, but there's a lot of, again, thoughtfulness and intentionality in, in, in every decision. Um, you study speakers and, and storytellers, as, as do I. Who are some of your favorite storytellers? It doesn't have to be keynote speakers, by the way. I mean, throughout history, do you have any specific, like, two or three storytelling heroes? Yeah. And, and I'm curious who they are and perhaps why they're your heroes. Um, I think that so my storytelling hero hands down uh, the one my mentor um is donald davis a little known storyteller to the population as a whole but when it comes to like the national storytelling festival or that community of storytellers that are very traditional he is a superstar <laughs> like he's the taylor swift or justin bieber or whoever uh, not even i mean taylor swift that's about um his ability to take life's everyday moments and and see the value in them because ultimately that's my 
that's my uh, essence. That's what I believe I'm here to do is, is share those everyday moments that we often overlook. But to this, when you tell them as a story, you can see how much of who we are exists in these really small stories. Um, so Donald Davis, um, and then, you know what, actually I, read like the first chapter, maybe I know this sounds so terrible, but of Untamed um, by Glennon Doyle. Um, And it was so good. (laughs) It was a story about a cheetah and the way she wrote that story. um, And honestly, I was expecting to, because there'd been so much hype about whatever I was expecting. And I didn't know really what the book was about. I was expecting to hate it, but I read that story and I was like, that's all I need to read. This thing is, that was very, very well done. Um, My other favorite place to look for stories is actually in the New York Times. um, I think it's in the Sunday paper, but I think I get it on Saturday. The Metropolitan section, Um, they have all these like, teeny tiny paragraph long stories of little things that happen. And again, they're, they're stories that seem to have no point, but when you read them, you just, you are reconnected to humans and what it is to be a human and the silly mistakes we make and the interactions that happen. So those are my, I look forward to reading that. That's why Before I got here, I moved my papers out of the shot, even though we're not using video. But it's really stacks of all the papers that I haven't gotten to read the stories on the Metropolitan section yet. It's like my reward at the end of a long week or something. I get to read those stories. One observation that I have is as you talk about your storytelling heroes and stories in general, you just light up with joy. And that's that's again real really a mark of, of someone who's who's deep into their craft. They, when I was studying music, you know, how do you get to be a good musician? Part of the way is you study other musicians and you love music. And if they always say the best writers are the best readers. And similarly, you know, if we want to be good storytellers, why wouldn't we want to immerse ourselves in, and derive beauty and joy from the art form of great storytelling? And and so I encourage people to, listening to, you know, uh, go to YouTube and check out Donald Davis, read the the New York Times storytelling that comes out on Sundays slash Saturdays. Um, check out the Moss Storytelling Hour. There's the, the good news is there's so many stories online. You know, that now that we have access to YouTube and others, if you type in storytelling competition, you could spend the next 30 years watching stories. Yep, and so I, I just encourage people like you've done, Kendra, to really immerse themselves in the art form. And, and speaking of that, when you watch other speakers, other I shouldn't just say speaker storytellers. So for me, as you know, I, I've been playing jazz guitar for 40 plus years. And when I watch someone playing jazz guitar, I'm kind of hyper aware. I wouldn't say hypercritical, but hyper aware. So I notice everything. I notice when they do some beautiful, unexpected chord substitution. And I'm like, ooh, I got you. That was cool. And I also notice when they make a mistake or when they when they do something that that is less cool. When you watch other storytellers, what are the things that light you up? And what are the things that uh, that make you cringe? Uh, I, um, oh, it's such a... That's that's a it's a good question. Um, so I love when you can tell that somebody has um, put the time in and and done the reps on the story. So they have the think, feel, no thing, do think, feel, no do down, right? And they they've taken the time to you know because I think there's um, I think there's this belief that a story is only good if you kind of do it off the cuff. And if the story is really for the person you're telling it 
too. Why wouldn't you invest in it and work with it and and see the, you know, work on the movements of it and the details that can come in and the details that go out. So that's one of the things and you can you can see it, right? You can you can hear it when someone's telling you a story, you hear a story or you read a story that you can tell they've gone through the editing process of it and that they've kept things in there that they that you didn't realize when you were reading it or listening to it meant something. And then they're able to like come back to it and make it matter more. So that's what makes me really excited. And that's something that I would encourage anyone, especially as speakers, anyone who's presenting, don't wing your stories, like give them, they are the most important thing you can offer on stage. Give them the time. Even I, like if I'm like, Ooh, I should tell this. I, I told a story, um, at an event the other day, an event had a thing had happened to my son, like three days before getting on the stage for this keynote. Uh, we're talking about a, I have an exercise in there where they talk about a bicycle. He had had, I have him talk about a bicycle accident. He had had a bicycle accident like three days before. Never told the story. I'm on the stage and I was like, oh. And so I started to, and I, I mean, it was fine at this point in the presentation and over the course of my career, I've earned the right to share an off the cuff story, but it was not good, right? It kind of, it, it didn't, it didn't enhance the keynote, it didn't make their, it wasn't bad. They didn't boo me off the stage. Um, but even as someone who has been telling stories her entire life, this is what I do. First time on the stage telling it, it wasn't good. Um, and so, so that's one of the things that gets me really excited. Uh, something that I really cringe about, um, is two things, but they're, they're connected. Um, when, and I, I don't want people to be mad at me for saying this, but I'm, I'm going to say it. Uh, when presenters cry or get really emotional while telling their own story, this is a huge, in my opinion, and I'll, I'll tell you why, this is a huge mistake. Remember, you are there to share your story on behalf for the benefit of your audience. And I know that there are speakers out there that like them crying on stage is one of their, it's one of their things that they do. Like they can get, so, and I don't know, Josh, I don't know if you do that. So I, so I'm sorry if you do, but that's okay. I do not. But, but that, that's something they take great pride in is that they get really emotional, like even a tear coming down their cheek every time they tell their story and they use it as like a badge of I'm so present. I'm so in it, but no, or you're, you're so in yourself in that moment. And when you get over emotional, really emotional on stage, what happens in the audience's mind is, are they going to be okay? Like, is this okay? They start to worry about you or think about you. And that's not what they should be doing in that moment. They should be in the story as it relates to their own, like their own experience with it, their own emotions with it. So yeah, it's good if they cry, but if you're crying, it, it, it's an interruption in that sacred space where you want them to be sitting. And so so that's one of the things. And then kind of on that same level, I've seen it happen where someone tells a story just because it's an emotional story and it doesn't actually serve 
a purpose, right? It doesn't illustrate a point. There isn't think, feel, know, or do. There's just, this is an emotional story. And I know that if I tell it, they'll get emotional and, and then I'll win. Like, oh, it'll be good. So, um, those are, those are two of my cringing moments. I love that you share that. And, and to me, you know, just kind of, uh, reflecting on it, you know, first thing is don't do something like it's a party trick. Yes. You know, you're, you're there on behalf of your audience, not yourself. It's not look at me. It's look at what you like, look what I just like, look what you can do. And so if, if every word isn't in service of, of helping and elevating others, and, it, and if it, it turns on yourself for, for, for selfish purposes, you know, that, that's, that's a big red flag. So I totally agree with you. And even things like, you know, all right, at the end of my speech, everybody stand up and then like, yeah, I got a standing ovation. Like, I mean, you know, party tricks. Uh, yeah. Just, the other no. I'm like, I'm not going to say it out loud, but like, oh, look, we're ending. Everyone's standing up. And then you're like, thank you very much. And then it's like oh, another standing ovation. God, drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and by the way, the goal of a great keynote, I don't think is a standing ovation. I mean, if you no. get one, that's nice. But the goal is to to drive, again, it's, it's an act of service and generosity, not one of of, of arrogance or, or being self-serving. So I'm really glad that you, you said that. Like, and I think, especially if you're someone who's just starting out. It's a really easy form of measurement that you did a good job on stage. But there are some audiences that simply aren't going to stand up. That's just not who they are. And there are some audiences, like I had, a, I had a friend, we have a mutual friend who said to me, Kendra, what is it? How do you get a standing ovation while, while you're walking onto the stage? You haven't even said anything yet. And he's seeing the videos of like people standing up to cheer before even, and, and that's just the nature of that audience. They just want to stand up and cheer for people walking when they're walking out, which is a beautiful thing. Um, a better measurement, and this gets into the business of speaking, whether or not we want to go there. Certainly it is you're there to serve and to always be in that place. And when you walk off stage to be like, okay, I served them like this is, um, but if you want another like fundamental, tangible measure, um, did anyone who was sitting in that room follow up with you afterwards and ask you to come speak at one of their events? That, that's, that's how you know you're, you're doing something right. That's exactly right. A spin piece of business is a much more accurate and tangible measure of your speaking success than whether or not you got a standing ovation or or someone, you know, if there, if you, you had a, a punchline that was always going to work. I mean, those, again, those, those to me are more party tricks than, than meaningful impact. So I'm, I'm really glad that you said that. Um, as, as we kind of wind down our conversation, uh, Kendra, and I'm so grateful for our time together and your wisdom, you know, on the surface, it seems like you do it all. You have a beautiful family. I've had the, the great privilege to meet your husband. And I know you're, you're crazy about your kids. You're, you're obviously in fit and you're in great health. You're speaking all over. You're writing. You just came out with your, your newest book. How do you sort of navigate the, the balance? I'm, I'm terrible at it, to be honest. And, and you seem to be very good at it. Any, any insights or, or tips that you could give to our audience who are or like you and me trying to, trying to balance a number of competing interests? Um, I think that what, what I've learned and I think one of my great strengths is that I am always touching base with how I feel right now. Um, how do I feel right now? How does this feel to me? Does this feel okay? Does this not feel okay? Now, the challenge is uh, the way that this business works is a lot of times our calendars are set like six months in advance. And so, you know, you get a huge month where there's 10 events or whatever. You're locked in and you're maybe on event five and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Um, so there's a there's a delay in actually being able to make changes. Um, you have 
have to experience it. But I, I one of the things, this is an important question, actually, we could talk about this for, for a half hour, is I've learned that I really have to be thinking about what is right for me, number one, and my family is an extension of that, but me right now. So what is right for me right now? Um, and, and right for me is tune out everybody else, right? Because your speaking business looks a lot different than my speaking business, right? Like your the number of events that you do in a year is very different and, and you consider successful is very different than the number of events I do in a year and feel successful. And it's really just like with anything, but I find that like focusing half of the battle of this work is focusing on yourself when there's so many people to look up to, to compare yourself to, and and it can get really confusing. And so if you're not constantly checking back in with, does this feel good to me? Um, and, and asking yourself that all the time and giving yourself real honest answers that again are your own, not what you think you should say. Um, not because, you know, you have friends that are saying you travel too much, your kids miss you or, you know, whatever it is. And then the right now. So right for me right now, I've learned that things have things change for me, right? So so when my kids were little, it was okay. It was right for me to be gone all the time. They needed me in a different way than they do than they than they did in than they did last year, than they did the year before. I'm starting to feel as we move into 2023 that they need me in a different way and I might be able to do a few more events a month or a year, right? Um, because right now they're running around to all their activities anyway. Like as long as I spend like really good check-in time with them. But again, I am having these conversations in my own head with my husband. I'm checking in with my kids, not giving them too much power, but seeing how they feel about what the life looks like. I'm checking in with my team, um, constantly, it's a terrific prompt. How do you feel right now? And uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll end things there. And I'll just share how I feel right now. I feel energized from your passion for storytelling and your professionalism and, and the depth and the amazing learnings that you shared today. And I feel grateful. I, great, I feel grateful for your leadership at our industry and your continued impact that you're making on us all. So once again, Kendra Hall, thank you for joining me on Mic Drop. Thank you, Josh. Loved being here. Besides being a storytelling badass, I just love how the art and science of storytelling fills Kendra with unbridled joy. A couple other observations from today's conversation. Number one, Kendra studies storytelling the way Gary Kasparov studies chess. Her endless curiosity and commitment to her craft shines through, both on stage and in her speaking business. Number two, authenticity is a key ingredient in Kendra's success. She doesn't come off as preachy or arrogant, quite the opposite. You really feel like you know her, and she's willing to share personal elements, which in turn makes audiences fall in love. And number three, Kendra's think-know-do-feel model for reverse engineering the desired outcome of a keynote before writing a single word, it's simply brilliant. 
I've been using that approach since I learned it from her, and I can say without hesitation, one of the most powerful tools I've come across to craft better keynotes. Kendra mentioned that to keep people's attention, a story needs to have an identifiable character. Today, she filled that role for us all, inspiring us to become better and providing something for all of us to aspire to. Since the beginning of time, stories have been used to teach, inspire, entertain, and move people to action. The platform is a sacred honor, the ability to change hearts and minds and ultimately change the world. Kendra Hall has honed her craft and now is helping all of us become better storytellers, thought leaders, and change makers. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Mic Drop. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. If you love the show, please share with your friends and don't forget to give us a five-star review. For show transcripts and show notes, visit micdroppodcast.com. And a big thanks to our sponsor, Impact 11. I'm your host, Josh Linkner. Thanks for listening, and here's to your Mic Drop moment.